in between episode 15. Who exactly is a healthcare consumer? American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. There has been a lot of talk lately about healthcare consumerism and the hope that consumerism can counter the outrageous escalation of healthcare costs in this country. If I was going to ask you who the largest healthcare payer is in the United States today, what would you answer? Most people, industry people anyway, say Medicare. And by Medicare, I mean CMS. But that would be wrong. Actually, the largest healthcare payer in this country are patients who are paying out of pocket for healthcare. We, the patients, are in fact the biggest healthcare payer. So you'd think it would make sense that there'd be this gigantic vested interest in becoming a healthcare consumer in order to lower those costs. But in order for healthcare consumerism to affect any change, it does in fact boil down to employees or patients or consumers taking responsibility for the costs that we are all racking up, costs that we're either paying ourselves or that our employers or the government is paying on our behalf. So we're asking patients to be good healthcare consumers, but patients don't want to be good healthcare consumers. That's pretty clear. In fact, even discussing your average healthcare consumer's skill level at selecting healthcare based on its value is probably wildly misplaced optimism. It overlooks one rate critical. You can't evaluate someone's skill at something if the person doesn't even realize that there's such a thing as this skill in the first place. Further, I will continue. Even if someone does realize that healthcare consumerism is an actual skill, is it something that they've jotted down on their self-improvement shortlist? Haha, is probably the best answer to all of this and all of these semi-rhetorical questions. I just do not see people showing up at their provider office with an Excel spreadsheet and saying it was their New Year's resolution to get a bead on their cost burden to the healthcare system or even proactively take control of their out-of-pocket costs. Because, like, here's the thing. People don't like to think of themselves as sick. You can talk to any behavioral scientist, and this is a given. But you have to kind of think of yourselves in terms of your morbidity or your mortality to do anything a healthcare consumer would rationally do. So if people with chronic disease aren't actually a tribe, in the lingo of Seth Godin, then why do we think that in the aggregate, all of these people with all of these various chronic diseases or not chronic diseases or basically anything in common other than their humanity is actually a group we can put a label on? Are we using this term healthcare consumer based on what is or because we're wildly optimistic in everybody's willingness and knowledge to become healthcare consumers even when we don't feel sick? I mean, even the term healthcare consumer, I'm not sure you can bandy around a label to describe any group with no real defining characteristic that actually exists in the known universe, except maybe that all these healthcare consumers are on high deductible plans. But that 
if you think about it, is probably more of a description of their circumstances than of the person. All right, so let me summarize all this by stating the obvious. (laughs) A significant percentage of the population does not consider themselves a healthcare consumer, at least when they are not in the doctor's office, which is the vast majority of the time. Especially if we further narrowed to people with enough self-confidence and brass to argue with their physician, who probably wants to have none of it, about the cost of some recommended intervention. But just to test this hypothesis, Do you? I mean, seriously, do you identify as a healthcare consumer? Like right now, are you a healthcare consumer? And if not, why not? Are you more nubile or more vegan or genetically superior or luckier as a role than your average SMO that you're calling a healthcare consumer? This really hit home with me yesterday when I was speaking with Dr. Kira Bobinet, who will be a guest on the podcast in January 2018. And we were discussing who is the audience of Relentless Health Value, this podcast. And I said, well, the audience of the podcasts are industry executives, you know, people in the healthcare industry. And then I said, but not patients. I'm sure there's some patients that listen, but this content is not typically targeted toward the patient population. And Dr. Kira Bobinet said to me, rightfully so. She's like, well, we're all patients. And I said, yeah, I guess we are. And I might have added at some point or another. So I started thinking about that in the context of this podcast, because basically my subconscious was saying that I don't consider myself a patient all the time. And if I don't consider myself a patient all the time, do I consider myself a healthcare consumer all the time? My subconscious mind has spoken, (laughs) but maybe it's okay if people identify as a healthcare consumer only occasionally. What's the problem with that? Well, let's look at some analogous situations. Let's say you are a knitter, a really good knitter, and you're really proud of your skills, but right now you are not knitting. How would you feel if I told you that you're not a knitter because you're not knitting right now? I don't know, but I'm thinking that if all the time you don't admit to identifying as something, then it's not your identity. It's kind of your transactional vocation at that moment. If you're like me and you have been planning to go full throttle consumer for like three years but never actually gotten around to it, I don't think that counts. And if you or I don't identify as a healthcare consumer at this exact moment, because I'm pretty confident that we probably don't, then why expect all of these patients, you know, patients just like you and me, that we write about in the third person to do things that we, who know a whole lot about this, don't do ourselves? I mean, seriously, why do we think that anybody really is going to buff up their healthcare consumerism acuity when you and I aren't actually doing so? Okay, so in arguendo, which is a phrase I learned from my lawyer friend, Melissa, in arguendo, let's agree that we don't actually have a meaningful group we call healthcare consumers. So if very few are healthcare consumers, can we expect basically random individuals to actually behave in consumeristic ways? Let's assess this like marketers because I only know enough about behavioral science to be extraordinarily dangerous. Marketers know That much of human behavior is motivated by our reptile brains and the pursuit of endeavors that bolster our egos and materialistic urges. People buy or do things because the thing hits one of 
four, I think, human motivators. Fear, greed, exclusivity, which means basically being better than the Joneses. And I think there's a new one that got added since I got out of school. It's like envy or something. But regardless, we all know that emotion trumps logic any day of the week as a motivator. So what does the reptile brain say about price shopping for a colonoscopy? I don't know. It doesn't exactly pluck the strings of any of these basic urges. And it definitely is the path of most resistance to ask how much individual services cost, either in the moment or proactively. Here we are in this industry, having these conversations all the time about these alleged healthcare consumers and basically placing this non-existent segment as the bedrock from which change will manifest, except we're kind of talking about nobody. At best, it's a segment whose major skill is gaslighting the industry. As I have talked about many times, as have others, employers really need to step up and demand change because they're the ones with the most wherewithal and power at this time to demand that change. But employers really rely on employees then to be consumers, which, as we've just been talking about, is not a plan for success to expect employees to be healthcare consumers, unless there's some pretty serious employee training on what being a consumer means and how to become one as well as how to not skip essential services because the employee doesn't want to pay for them. And at the same time, the employer would be needing to work hard to come up with benefit designs that don't inadvertently drive suboptimal behavior with financial incentives. And a lot of patient engagement initiatives that I see are limited to how the interaction goes down while the patient is in clinic. Like if we make the in-clinic experience awesome, patients are going to walk out full-time healthcare consumers. This is just weird. Okay, so what do we do? I don't know. But here's some thoughts. First, training, like I was just talking about, coupled with insightful benefit design and probably convenient and cost-effective site-of-care options, you could reference my podcast with Dave Chase or his recent CEO's Guide book that he just published describing Rosen Hotels and what that one employer has managed to accomplish, actually really improving the, the quality of healthcare his employees receive while at the same time doing it at less or equal cost. The other podcast that you might want to check out is the one with Richard Steinhardt. Richard talks about when he was on the school board, how he helped school employees become better consumers, once again, while maintaining or improving the quality of the care at less cost. We have to really begin to understand exactly who is a healthcare consumer, because there certainly are some. Here's my first crack at that. I'm not going to look up a source, so let me make an unattributed assessment of the only people in this country who may actually fancy themselves healthcare consumers and who might actually have the wherewithal to actually be a healthcare consumer. It's going to be smart people, very literate, who have an ailment that is intense enough and chronic enough to make healthcare providers and healthcare a major day-to-day -day consideration beating out a metric ton of other day-to-day -day considerations for their time and attention. But to get into the healthcare consumer sweet spot, this ailment or healthcare concern cannot be acute enough that the person isn't physically able to deal with it or that they die too fast. Caregivers and family members certainly can't be overlooked here, and maybe it's they who, in certain circumstances, will actually be the healthcare consumer. 
How big is that patient consumer category at this time? People who have a big enough problem to really get in there and show them what Scrappy looks like? I'd consider members of groups like Andrew Shore's Patient Power a place to start counting, or other who are heavily involved in other patient advocacy organizations. Probably eliminate almost anybody on Medicare. They might be concerned about the evidence basis for their care, but I have never met one Medicare patient who has any interest in the cost that Medicare is footing on their behalf. The only thing they care about is the out-of-pocket, which is super low as compared to anyone with commercial insurance. So if we're thinking about this in terms of crossing the chasm and how to motivate broad-scale change, starting with a small group of motivated people is a great way to begin and then expanding outward from there. If there are these pockets of healthcare consumers, how do we leverage their motivation and begin a cascade into the rest of the population? That's probably one way to go. Or another way to do it might be how some employers are proceeding, which is to hire concierge services for their employees. So the employee doesn't actually have to be a healthcare consumer because the employer outsourced the consumerism to the concierge who will guide employees to the best value care. A third idea, and some have already started thinking about this. I don't want to imply that this is only me talking here. But another way to proceed would be to focus patient engagement outside of the clinic and to not only be considering social determinants of health per se, but also the financial flip side of that. What I mean is this. We've all seen dozens of PSAs to get people to eat right or have a checkup or get a colonoscopy, which are great and super important. But I cannot remember the last time I saw a PSA talking about how not going to a high-value hospital could cost thousands of dollars more or how overtreatment might actually be dangerous, but also could cause financial difficulties, which could diminish someone's ability to get the follow-up care that could be necessary. I saw a Venn diagram the other day showing the difference between what a clinician is concerned about when considering healthcare and what a patient is concerned about. The main difference was this gigantic circle on the patient side for, in quotes, financial considerations. But despite this fear of negative financial repercussions, most patients have no idea how to transform that fear into an actionable plan. And similarly, I would say to other areas of the economy where education is kind of part of the process, probably clinical organizations are going to be the ones who need to help the patients figure out this stuff prior to the healthcare transpiring. But I don't think clinical organizations are super equipped to help out at this juncture, especially on that front end and in a visible, welcoming way. So the repercussion of that is what do patients do? Maybe they don't get the medical help they need until it's too late because they're delaying because they just have this sense it's going to be more expensive than they can afford. Or maybe they go bankrupt or maybe they scrape it together and manage to pay even for the surprise billing. But in all of these cases, it's not a great case study for healthcare consumerism. What do we need to do as an industry and nothing for nothing as a country to help healthcare consumers, all of us, recognize that we are healthcare consumers and that we need to be healthcare consumers when we are well enough to make decisions, i.e. we can't wait until we're in the hospital to figure out the basics. And then secondly, how can we improve the skills that we have 
to actually be the agents of change that everyone is depending on. I will leave it there. Let me know what you think. And I mean that really seriously. The last in between episode, in between episode 14, which was about my take on Amazon, I had so many people contact me with additional thoughts that I actually did a podcast with someone. And I have a couple of bonus episodes saved up where I recorded other people's thoughts. So I am happy to do the same thing again. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Happy Thanksgiving! Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.